This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel M. Lavery. And with me in the studio this week is Lee Bardugo, the New York Times bestselling author of Ninth House and the creator of The Grishaverse, coming soon to Netflix. Her short stories can be found in multiple anthologies, including Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy. Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am a fanatic when it comes to your show. I'm thrilled that you're here. I'm thrilled that your hair looks so good. I'm so sorry that none of our listeners can see it because it's it's truly remarkable. I feel sorry too that they're missing out. It's a really good hair day. Just know that when Lee is giving you advice today, if it applies to you, you're you're taking advice from someone with just phenomenal hair. And so you you should feel good about yourself. And you should listen more closely. I think so. It's definitely hair with authority. <laughs> Finally, I've achieved gravitas and all it took was a curling iron. Yes, exactly. I, I think I'm my my route to gravitas through hair is I keep hoping to, to develop a, a Bonnie Raitt style gray streak in my hair and I'm getting close at the front, but it's only when my hair is like flopped over at the correct angle, which it rarely is. So it's it'll take time. when you said gray streak, I incidentally went to rogue, not Bonnie Raitt. But now I feel like there's a through line there that I never understood before. Yeah, I mean. Bonnie Ray, you know, Roe goes everything she she has to Bonnie Ray. Like you, you, you must <laughs> acknowledge those who came before you. Um, she was the first. Uh, no one had a gray streak in their hair before she did. Um, she invented that. <laughs> Let's just handle some problems instead of worrying about people's hair. How about that? Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll read our first letter. I, I loved this one too because I, I loved I loved how this person was just like, I don't want to fight at all because my only other alternative is being one of those court cases that make the headlines. And I like, I always like questions like that because I'm like, I bet there's a few options in the middle. Nope. I choose to escalate at every opportunity. So let's do this. Subject is non-binary kid, unsupportive ex. Dear Prudence, My now seven-year-old kid came out as non-binary slash gender creative at five and is mostly thriving. My partner, my community, and my family are all supportive, if occasionally a little forgetful, and their school is incredible. The biggest problem is their other parent. My kid's dad has forced them to get haircuts they don't want, taken away clothes he deems, quote, too girly, and either ignores or denies our kid's identity and preferred pronouns. I left when our kid was just nine months old. And the last straw was irreconcilable differences in parenting styles. But my ex was physically and financially abusive towards me too. For my own sanity, my strategy has been to minimize communication between the two of us. However, I'm concerned that in trying to shield myself from my ex, I've been leaving my kid to fend for themselves in hostile territory. My ex is quick to drag me to court and has already included gender identity in modification of custody pleadings. Fortunately, the court has so far not been sympathetic. How do I best support my kid while avoiding outright confrontation with my ex and without finding myself embroiled in the next big LGBTQ custody case? I, I feel a little bit now, actually, for, for 
um, bringing up those as the two options because this is a person who's also trying to protect themselves from an abusive ex. So I, I really understand this is not like, oh, I'm too conflict avoidant. I don't know how to just stand up for myself. This is like, this man has abused me for years. There's I'm, obviously a lot of probably some some PTSD in there and some real justifiable fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, obviously this is not territory that is my wheelhouse, but to me, what struck me was, you know, you've already said that this man is abusive or that this ex is abusive. And this sounds like abuse to me. Like if this sounds like to me, forcing a kid to get a haircut, throwing out their clothes, like that is abuse. And I feel like the effect of it will be abuse as well. Like you are subjecting your kid to trauma and I feel for this person, but I also feel like you have to intercede. It's like that that's not something you can let go or treat as if it is not what it is. Yeah, I i, I don't want to put too much pressure on this letter writer. You know, it is your ex who is responsible for cre- committing abuse. But I, I agree that... Um, I think the best way to look out for yourself and your kid is to go to court yourself. And so to that end, you know, I don't want to advise you on here's ways to try to like avoid getting your ex's notice or like sneak things under the radar. I think your kid is going to become increasingly less safe with your ex as time goes on. And I I, I think you're right. You know, this is putting your kid in hostile territory. And so I, I think your your next move should be, you know, consult your lawyer. If you don't have a lawyer that you find like to be really great and reliable, I would suggest looking for someone through the National Center for Transgender Equality. There's the Trans Legal Services Network. Um, they they list state by state different um, firms that I- include, um, you know, anything from like pro bono legal services to people who who have expertise in, in dealing with um, custody cases that involve one transphobic parent. Um, and 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 I think that's going to be your best bet. I, I do think you need to go to court. I, I think ideally to get sole custody. I realize that's not always possible, but you say that the court's been looking down on or or, or sort of ignoring your ex's attempts to um, use your kids to like weaponize. Non-binarity. Yeah. Yeah. So y- you should use it for yourself. <laughs> you should weaponize the courts. I mean, it really, that really struck a, a nerve with me. The, the fact that this ex is so willing to go to court, it's clearly a means of keeping control and, and keeping this pattern of, of controlling this person. But, um, and the fact that like, you know, the courts have been sympathetic so far, I can understand how vulnerable that would make you feel like, what kind of judge are you going to get? Like, what kind of, what is the climate going to be then? But I, I, I don't see that there's another alternative. Um, And again, the good news there is a good lawyer, and especially a good lawyer who has worked with affirming parents of trans kids before, is not going to recommend you make any sudden jarring movements or unnecessarily provoke your ex. They're going to give you, you know, cautious counsel. Um, But I do think you need to be getting legal counsel right now. And, And then I think in addition to that, you should be asking your kid, you know, I, I, I know that the visits with your dad have been rough. How, how are you doing? Like, do you feel safe when you're with your dad? Like, really ask those questions and give your kid freedom to say, like, it's frustrating, but I don't have to see him too often versus I'm terrified and it, I can't sleep or, you know, he's threatened me. Like, that. this is, I think, an opportunity to really 
invite your kid to share more details with you because, you know, lots of kids don't necessarily want to bring up how hard something is, especially if they feel like everyone's always already trying so hard to support me. And so I want to seem like things are okay. So there, there may be an opportunity here to, to learn more from your kid about how those visits are going. I think that's a big thing. I came from a divorced family and I think that's a big thing, the desire to protect the the parent, like the main parent, especially if you are aware of the pain they've been through, even if they're telegraphing that, there's this real desire to shield them in the same way that this mother wants to shield her child. But, Mm -hmm. you know, at some point you have to sort of drop those shields and just communicate honestly about where you're at. Yeah. I think my last thought here is just, you know, letter writer, you know, you say you're worried that you've been leaving your kid to fend for themselves. Um, I, I just want to be really, I want you to be kinder to yourself on that front. Your ex has been legally entitled to visitation. That that wasn't you just like airily saying like, yeah, go off and see your dad. I don't really care. You know, that was something that legally you have been obligated to provide. So that was not within your power. It has not been within your power previously to stop. And and I can't guarantee that you'll be able to get sole custody or, or anything even remotely like it. I just, I do think that should be something that you pursue. And if you can't get it, therapy for your kid with a trans-affirming therapist would probably be helpful. And just doing whatever you can to um, keep keep an eye on issues of safety. Annie, listening to you answer this question reminds me just how, like, I feel like reading Dear Prudy makes me a better person because, no, because I have this very vengeful, combative spirit. I'm a horrible person. So I'm always like, I want to go to war. We're going to go to war with this guy. And I'm like, that is actually not in anybody's interest. So I I, listen, I'm right there with you. I often want to go to war. I often want to take the nuclear option. I have at plenty of times in my own life responded disproportionately because I felt angry and justified. I really get it. It, it, Part of it, I think, is just a function of I get the time to read these questions, have an initial emotional response, and then remind myself, you know, if if I encourage this letter writer, like, take your kid and run, you know, like, move to another country. Right. I would... I would be getting them in trouble and I don't want to, this, this person is trying so hard to look out for their kid so hard. and I do not want to make their life worse or harder, but yeah, um, legal counsel, legal counsel, legal counsel, anything that you can do, even if you can't immediately get sole custody, if the court can agree, like, uh, you know, it is in the child's best interest to maintain like this socially consistent identity that they've been very clear about for several years now, then you might be able to get a court order uh, that the the father is not able to throw away their clothes. Now, whether he'll honor that court order is another question entirely, but at least that's the beginning of being able to document he's disregarding court orders um, in, in a future attempt to get sole custody, which again, I think should be your, your goal and your hope. I, I also realize that Uh, you want to minimize communication and you're afraid of conflict. Again, you don't have to talk to him directly about any of this. Um, You can always go through the lawyers. Okay. Um, Let's move on to another sad situation, but one that also feels a little bit I don't know what the word is. It's something about like the evilness of the fish dinner kind of made me laugh. Not because it's nice, but just sort of like, my goodness. The 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 petty meal is sort of one of my favorite conventions of uh, advice column questions. Um, like I'm trying to kill you through food and pretending I'm not doing it. But okay. 
Shall I read? Especially when it's, yeah, especially because it's always like, you're not the Borgias. You're not competing over like the middle of Italy. <laughs> you know, you just don't like this guy. Like who poisons over anything less than like, I want to be Pope. <laughs> well, we don't know. We don't know what the stakes are here. Right. You're um, right. We should, we should read the letter. All right. The subject is boss's hateful wife. Dear Prudence, last year I started working for an old friend's father. I've known Glenn and his wife, Barb, for about 10 years, and throughout the pandemic, I've been working out of his home office. Occasionally, I spend part of my workdays running errands for Barb, who's disabled. This never gets in the way of my other work, and I know my boss appreciates it. But I have a hard time talking to Barb. She's always gossiping, which I understand can be fun, but she truly seems to enjoy venting her anger and spreading lies. For example, Barb hates her daughter, Wendy's boyfriend, Chuck, even though they've been together for 12 years and have a child together. For the second year in a row, Barb has spent a lot of money making a fancy fish dinner, knowing that Chuck has a serious fish allergy. She bragged to people left and right about her brilliant plan. Last year, when Chuck didn't show, she kept saying what a terrible father and partner he was for not attending this important dinner. This year, Chuck came but didn't eat. Barb went around complaining that he was terrible for wasting her time and money cooking this meal if he wasn't going to eat any. I've seen her intentionally lie to get people in trouble. It kills me not to speak up, but if I did, I would certainly lose my job. I try to remain positive and professional, but it's difficult. I'm still a student, and this job gets me university credit. I'm also grateful to be working since a lot of my peers can't find work these days. I don't want to quit, just find a solution for coping with Barb. I know I can't change her, but I would love some help on how to change the way I deal with my situation. Oh, the fun of working <laughs> for family friends. <laughs> so I'm a little confused. Uh, so she works for Glenn, but then part of her workday is taking care of Barb. Is that it? Like, I'm trying to sort of suss out if that's in her official capacity as this job or just sort of an extra nice thing to do. Yeah, I, I was also, that seemed a little bit open-ended. This seems like one of those companies that somebody starts that's like sort of a company and sort of just like me and my family doing what we feel like. Um, probably not big enough for, say, an HR department. Maybe not a lot of like written policies or like, here's your employee guide. So like the kind of business that really thrives on ambiguity that makes it easier for the boss to exploit and um, change around the nature of your work uh, than if it were, you know, I work at Office Max. Right. <laughs> because my first thought was she could be like, oh, my class schedule has changed and just avoid the Barb situation. But I'm going to assume that isn't an option. But I also have to assume that uh, Glenn the, knows what his wife is like. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get anywhere trying to, like, go over Barb's head to Glenn. Like, he's clearly put you in this position and yeah. is also, like, fine with this weird fish subterfuge, so. <laughs> the fish plan. Um, yeah, and the fish plan is weird. Like, she's sort of a bad villain, you know? Like, there are good villains who have, like, good plots and and are great schemers. This is a terrible villain who tells who tells everybody her plan and makes it possible for her victim to then escape. Although there was a part of me that wanted to be like, I want Chuck to throw down, eat that fish, and go to the hospital. And then be like, now pay my hospital bills, Barb. Like, I want... This is what I mean by I'm, I'm always looking to escalate. I thought you were going to say... Like, stand up to her, like, fuck you, Barb. I'm not coming over for dinner anymore. But yours is like, no, fuck you, Barb. I'm poisoning myself. No, I want her to out 
passive aggressive him. I want him to just sit there eating this food, be like, mm, this is the best food I've ever eaten, Barb. And then, you know, go into anaphylactic shock. I don't want that. I don't want no, that. No, we should I not. I love do that, that idea for your next Netflix series, but for this yes, individual. But it's, it's, I agree. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. No one should listen to me. But here's the thing that was strange to me the Chuck and fish dinner thing is super like petty and mean and strange. And I really feel for both Chuck and Wendy. But I also found it strange that the letter writer said she's lied to get people into trouble which seems much more dangerous and sinister to me than the fish dinner thing, which is sort of theatrical. and Especially because it wasn't like she was trying to sneak fish stock into something. It was like, here's a fish. She's like, I can see what a fish is. So it was very obvious. Um, That's what I mean. Yeah, She's a bad villain. I also assumed these were other people who potentially work for Glenn. Yes. I, you know, I, I don't really know the nature of those lies. I don't really know the nature of that trouble. But I agree that that's one of the more potentially concerning things here. Like, I don't worry that Chuck is going to let it slip and eat something that she cooks. Like, I, I trust. For, for, for whatever else I might wish Chuck and his wife might do in terms of separating from, from uh, Barb, like, I do yeah. trust that Chuck is like, yeah, if Barb makes it, I'm not going to eat it. No, I think that the family knows the score. The husband knows the score. But I, I guess, is the letter writer, the letter writer sort of asking, how do I not participate in this cruelty. This is about coping with Barb, but I think maybe the question, and maybe I'm wrong, is, is am I being a bad bystander, essentially? Right. Yeah. I, I have a pretty straightforward answer to that one, I think, which is, no, you're not. But also, you're not a bystander. You're an employee. You know, you've been put in a very difficult situation, made worse by the fact that your boss is clearly happy to, like, kind of assign you a second job once you got hired. Your boss's wife is behaving incredibly badly on both a personal and a professional level. You need this job. You need it for university credit and you need it to make money. So you, you need to keep your head down until you can find another job. Absolutely. All of that's fine. Which I do think this person should do. I think they should try to extricate themselves from this for their own like mental health and happiness. This sounds like a situation that could easily get worse. Yeah, like I, I, I understand that a lot of your peers can't find work. So I don't want to just say like, just start looking for another job now. And in a month, I'm sure you'll have found it. But no, you do have to start looking now and you should start looking now um, because this is only going to get worse. And whatever coping strategies I can come up with for you are going to be short to medium term at best. Like the long term solution is get any other job. Do you think it's worthwhile for the letter writer to maybe start keeping a record of the bad stuff? No. No, don't no. bother. <laughs> no, there's there's like no one cares. No one's going to help. This is this is coming from the top. These are old family friends. This is an incredibly dysfunctional family. Um this is more than you get paid to deal with. Um so I would say, you know, if you need to change the way to deal with the situation, I get that they're old family friends, so you you have a lot of history there. And you also have a sense of, well, I didn't always used to be their employee. So I used to have slightly more remit for maybe disagreeing or, or saying what I thought. That's not the case right now. It should and will influence how you think about them after you quit this job. You know, like you should like them less in the future as a person, as a friend. That's good. You've, you've seen them do things that make you like them less. You should like them less and spend less time with them. Um, but in the meantime, spend as much time not helping Barb out as you can. When you do have to help out Barb, be uh, polite, but give her as little as possible. So if she's like, I want to talk some shit about Chuck, be incredibly boring. You know, we've talked about this before. It's like a strategy on the podcast of like, 
what what the 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 message boards of dealing with difficult family members call gray rocking, but just be like, sounds rough, sounds rough, sounds rough. Boy, that sounds rough. Hey, look up, like just become the most boring person you can think of and start saying things like, is that a bird outside the window? Or just like, I had the most interesting encounter in class today. And then describe something as boring as you could. Like, there was a man who almost came into the room. He was wearing a gray sweater, which I remember because I have a sweater that's almost the exact same shade of gray. But I don't wear it because my cat always wants to sit on it. And I really feel like she should have something of mine that reminds her of me when I'm away at class because I do miss her. Anyways, he was wandering past the door frame and he looked as though he were going to come in. I'm not sure if he worked for maintenance or not, but you get the idea. Just like, oh, I do. That was masterful. And I think that would be incredible. And I do think it might stop Barb in her tracks. Yeah. And just think like, I have no power over Barb. I'm not going to change this adult woman's habit of years and years and years of being an asshole. Um, I can't (laughs) do that. So all I can do is make today as non-miserable for myself as possible. So just, sorry to hear that. Sounds rough. Okay. Do you need anything from me right now? Like, that's it. That's it. You're not gonna. You're not gonna cure her of liking to fuck with people. Um, you're. You're not gonna be able to like empathize with her so hard that she has a change of heart. You're not gonna be able to fix her relationship with Wendy and Chuck. So. So don't. You know. I get that it sucks to watch. It does. But just do whatever you can to turn off your heart. You know. Turn off your brain. Dissociate. That's what I used to do with jobs with terrible bosses. I'm fascinated by people like Barb who are fed by. Uh, this kind of like the idea of a grand scheme that revolves around something so small and so petty. And I have only, I think, once in my life encountered that that level of um, a, like a willingness to devote to, to talk about it, to plan it, to devote like to what is essentially revenge. And, and this is annual revenge fascinates mm-hmm. me, too. Like this is the annual fish revenge is it's like a long con that I don't, I, I, I respect the amount of energy she's supposed to Something. devote to it, but I yeah. also question it. Yeah. 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 She's really living up to um, work harder, not smarter. If she's just like <laughs> this year, I know he'll trick him with the fish. Like it's very wily e. coyote, but yeah, just, you know, smile and say, you know, uh-huh often enough that she doesn't freak out. And then inside, take your brain on a trip, go see the grand Canyon. Think about people you wish you could fight with, but haven't seen in a long time. Imagine what you would do if you had a pool full of gold and rubies, you know? Just take your brain wherever you want to go. I like that. That's it. That's how I got through most of my childhood. Let's move on to a question about how do you move forward when someone doesn't like you? Which is just fantastic. Dear Prudence, since childhood, My relative D and I have had a loving and supportive relationship, but once every few years, there's an incident. What starts as an innocent discussion spirals into a debate about a political issue where we share the same goals but disagree on methods that always ends with D ranting about their contempt for me. D's called me soulless, grating, unreasonable, unlikable, and self-righteous, among other things, over the years. These outbursts always feel like D's been trying to tolerate me for as long as possible and simply can't anymore. I've always tried to rationalize away these outbursts as a function of stress or just having different personalities. But after the most recent one, I'm struggling to move on. We haven't spoken since. I miss D terribly. At least once a day, I reach for my phone to text them, but I also no longer trust them. If they mean any of the things they've said, then it's pretty clear they don't like me, and that makes our other pleasant interactions feel like lies. 
and I don't know when anything I say might be used against me in a future outburst. I believe that D loves me, but how do I have a relationship with someone who clearly doesn't like me? I don't even have the words to talk it out with them, nor do I have the courage right now. This one made me sad, and I also feel a little, um, a little brisk. Like, as much as I do feel for the letter writer, I also feel a little bit like, okay, well, if you don't have the courage to talk to D about it right now, then enjoy wishing you could text them all day and feeling bad all the time. So those are your two options. Talk to D or suffer. And you can suffer as long as you want to until you find the courage. I suggest you find some. I love tough love, Danny. Um, I feel like the letter writer does have the words. They they just wrote the letter, so they do have the words. Um, and I do question, again, maybe maybe this is the the vengeful part of me, but there's a, I feel like D knows exactly what D can get away with and knows that this person feels afraid and timid and is the sort of person in the relationship who's going to take the kicks. Um, and then, and, and is not going to, you know, ask for respect or, or have some kind of reckoning. So I, I think the choices are pretty clearly laid out, but the words are there. And I think that they could take this, address it to D, and simply put it in an email to that person with a little, like, I love you and I want to have a relationship with you, but I, I need some help here. Help me out here. Yeah. And, you know, I, if anything, I think the briskness probably comes from, you know, I, I can see some of myself in the letter writer. And I think I've wasted some time in my own life being like, this is so sad. But the idea of acknowledging it feels even sadder. So maybe it would be better for me if I just spent a long time putting this off, feeling really bad about it to try to avoid sadness. And it's just like, you're not, you're not avoiding sadness going this route. You feel really, really bad. The one thing you don't have is a little clarity. Uh, I mean, you do, I think, have clarity. I think you're right. I don't think D likes you. Whether or not D loves you may be up in the air. Let's say that D's idea of love for you seems to be consistent with at least once a year going off on you and calling you a piece of shit, which is not especially loving. So like to me there, it's like it's a distinction without a difference. Like I, either D loves you, but their version of love is pretty hateful um, such that they don't really care if you suffer a lot or they don't love you and they really mean it when they say, you know, I hate you. I think you're the worst. And then the rest of the time they are lying. Uh, to me, those two are both similar enough that it's like, how could you, I, I think you're right to say, I don't know how I could trust them. I don't know how I could feel loved by them. You couldn't. It would not be possible. I do have people in my life who I consider high cost friends, like friends who I know are going to occasionally be unkind or selfish or um, want to borrow money or whatever it is. And I love them so much. Can we get some full like, names, please? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but there's a, and I'm willing to pay that price because I'm like, I love this person. And that's okay, because I know what the score is, you know, like, but I think that you have to be really candid with yourself about sort of what costs you're willing to pay for the good feelings that you get from another person. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and in this case, I think the cost is actually higher than the letter writer realizes. Like, they're thinking of this as this is a once a year thing. Surely the rest of the year, the other 364 days, surely that is in the plus column. But it's really not because there's so many of those days that are spent recovering from hurt and questioning one's own validity. In the like, if you love and respect somebody and they tell you you're garbage, 
you don't just shake it off. You know, hell, a stranger on the internet tells me I'm garbage and I'm like, am I garbage? So I, you know, and when it's somebody you care about, that stays with you. So I think they need to maybe do a little bit of accounting and really think about whether this person is worth the cost. Yeah, I, I think that's useful too because it does seem like for a while it was worth it to the letter writer never to say anything because they were afraid of the possibility of getting hurt again and they wanted to avoid conflict. Um, that worked for a while. Now it stopped working. So now I think you've just you've, you've reached the end of the road. We're not talking about it is going to work for you because now even when it's not happening, you feel like I don't trust you. And that makes sense to me. So I, I think, you know, you have options at this point, but, uh, you know, they, they really boil down to the old strategy is not going to work again. I will say, and maybe I'm wrong, but I will say they need to be prepared for D to go nuclear on them. If they, no matter how gently they, if they choose to approach this, if they choose to have a conversation about it, I think they need to be prepared for D to say some incredibly cruel things. Yeah. And, and that will feel harder because you invited it. But you didn't actually, what you did was you asked to be treated like a human being and you approach somebody with more civility and generosity than maybe they deserve. So if, if D chooses to then treat that as an opportunity to tell you how much you deserve to be called Mm -hmm. names and told you're worthless, I think one needs to be prepared for that. And then one needs to be willing to take that in as data. And again, add that to the accounting books and then walk away. Yeah. I think the last piece of advice, and I will cool it with the briskness, is just if the idea of having this conversation over the phone or in person um, or or via text feels too fraught, especially given um, Dee's tendency to sort of erupt when there's an option to respond right away, um, write it maybe down in an email or a letter. You could really, you, you could be barely have to edit this one for it to be something you could send to D. Um, but, but really just communicate. Normally I love our relationship, but every once in a while you blow up at me and you call me horrible names. We've never discussed it in part because I'm really afraid to. I don't know if, if that's just something you're willing to say when you're angry or if that's something you really believe, but either way it's eroding the trust and the closeness that we used to share. And I need to know like what's going on with you and, and I, I need it to stop if we're going to have any kind of relationship. And I love you and I want to. I feel scared writing this. I don't want to lose you. You know, I, I think that might feel more possible than calling D and saying all those things. Because that would feel, I would have a hard time holding all this in my head too. Yeah. I think that that's, uh, again, approaching this person with a lot of generosity and kindness, which at least you can feel good about that no matter what the outcome is. Yeah. And yeah. And that, even if it's like worst case scenario, awful reaction, at least you'll know I really tried. I really did. And I'm sorry. Good luck. That's awful. Uh, We've got one more before I can let you go today. Would you read this last letter, please? I'm asked to cite evidence every time I talk to my husband. That is the subject. Dear Prudence, my husband and I are both pretty smart. I have always been intellectually curious, have a few fancy degrees I paid too much for, and have a demanding, thought-provoking job I love. Same for him. He told me that he needs to go elsewhere to satisfy his intellect, which hurts me because I love a good discussion about segregation, neighborhood zoning, politics, etc., some of his favorite subjects. But I hate how he 
discusses. He wants a debate with lots of proof. For example, last night, we somehow got on the subject of J.K. Rowling's transphobia. He doesn't agree with cancel culture and thinks that people need to have opportunities to learn and grow, i.e., one misgender doesn't make you a bigot, which I agree with. However, JK is clearly transphobic. I didn't remember her specific arguments in her viral essay. And when I went digging, he wanted me to refute her arguments one by one. When I started talking about how infrequent it is that people regret medically transitioning and that the argument is used to prevent it entirely, he asked me for a citation. I lost my cool. He claims he was just curious, but the tone of voice was, I don't believe you and I need proof. I should mention at this point that I have a degree in sexuality and I've trained people across the country on supporting queer, trans, and GNC youth with other queer and trans people. I'm cishet. This issue matters deeply to me, and I can speak with some degree of authority without being able to say exactly how many people wish they hadn't proceeded with gender affirmation surgery. All of our discussions about topics that actually matter end like this. He's not the only one who isn't intellectually satisfied. I feel like all we do is watch TV together because every time we have a conversation, it's like I need to have an annotated bibliography. I don't think it's fair that he gets to set the terms of debate, and I am so tired of feeling stupid. Also, I need to say that he is not transphobic. He wasn't supporting JK at all, just following an intellectual argument, and thinks that trans women are women. For anyone who thinks this was a thinly veiled admission of his own transphobia, how can we talk about more than what we did at work without me retreating to my corner of the house? I always feel like I answer questions like this with my hand tied because it feels like the issue here is not that the letter writer is not trying hard to meet their partner in the middle. The issue is like your partner's not interested in meeting in the middle. So like, how can we have better conversations? Not a lot of substitutes for willingness on his part, you know? No. If he doesn't see a problem here and he doesn't want, I mean, the idea that somebody... The fact that he said, I have to go someplace else to be intellectually stimulated was to me uh, pretty direct and pretty snide uh, and pretty demeaning. So I think that that statement really leaves her at a loss uh, in this whole situation. Yeah. Um, And I... I think we've all had discussions like this, honestly. Like, I think we've all been in a conversation or a debate with somebody like this. But to be married to this guy. (sighs) I mean, I was raised by lawyers. Believe me. Like being raised by wolves. Like, I get it. They're both very angry at each other. (laughs) Like, that's what I felt like at the end of this. The fact that, like, I, I really wonder, because you know what? The letter writer did not do the thing where they're like, I love my husband. He's oh so great. And so like he she talked about her intellect, her job, his job, but there was none of that like, we have so much fun together. We, you know, it it, it seems like they're barely speaking. Right. Like it's like we can watch TV together or discuss our days at work, and that's kind of it right now. So I don't think this is about debating styles. Or rather, it's it's about the fact that he can only bring that energy to conversations. And just, you know, just to push back a little bit against his sort of unspoken premise here, it is possible to have, you know, a thorough, substantive conversation um, where you, you know, back up your arguments or your positions without doing it like you are two fighting lawyers, right? Like it is absolutely possible to, it's not like your only two options are like lots of like apologizing and agreeing preemptively or talking like this. Like it is possible to disagree substantively with a partner and to think carefully and, and you know, 
using all of your your best mental and emotional resources without it being like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and what then? And what then? Back that up. Excuse me, citation, please. Like, that's not, if part of you that's feels like he's saying- That's not how people talk. That's right. not how people talk. That's not how you have a conversation with a friend, a coworker, anyone. You know, you are not a reporter. You're not reporting on uh, a particular subject and and needing to back those things up. That's actually something that you could potentially explore together. Oh, uh, you know, do you know? Like, do you have a number on that? Let's let's get online together. Let's go and look and let's uh, let's find out. You know, find out a thing together as opposed to. Uh, let me use the fact that you don't have a reference at your fingertips as some kind like that doesn't actually undermine your argument in any way. Yeah. And so I would just think like the thing that stands out the most to me here, and like I realize we're not really getting into the nitty-gritty of the specific incident. And I think that's partly because it's not just about resolving this one conversation. You know, he says, I'm just curious. Um but but he's treating you in such a way that makes it pretty clear, like, his default is, I don't really care about this situation one way or the other, but I'm going to treat you with hostility, suspicion, and presumed incompetence. And I think that's part of why you feel so at the end of your rope right now is this whole, like, that's the problem with the devil's advocate guy, right? It's just like, I don't really give a shit about any of this, but let's just assume but this that is you're fun stupid for me. and irrational. Yeah, and it's just like, that's your default? This is an opportunity to make you feel crappy and I'm hyped for that and I have no personal investment in it. So that makes this easy. Like that is, that is grim happenings for the Mm -hmm. record. I mean, if you are looking for a refutation of that particular essay, mermaids did a really nice breakdown of that in a very generous and uh, thorough blog post, but. Or you can just sit like, you can also just take like as a position, like, oh, I don't like to take uh, like tips on how to build society from billionaires. You know, <laughs> that like, is all that also works very well. They're enemies of the human condition. They are barriers to a good society. We should remove <laughs> them any way we have to. I mean, I do like the idea of of her just escalating and like just like being like, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, I don't need a citation because I'm going to burn it all down. Like, yeah, just like she's a billionaire. She's wrong about life. Billionaires are wrong about life. Wouldn't be the first. You know, my mom has given me a lot of bad advice in this life, but one of the best pieces <laughs> of advice she gave me was I was uh, I was dating a guy and she said, you must not marry him. And I was like, but what of a fool, mother? Why not? And she said, uh, you, he, you will have contempt for him. You will come to have contempt for him. He can't keep up with you. And and I don't say that to be like, because I'm so smart. But he, we just didn't have the same style. We didn't have the same conversational style. We weren't interested in engaging with things in the same way. We weren't curious in the same way about stuff. And she said, you will have contempt for him and you will treat him badly. So I don't say this for you. I say this for him. And yeah. I was like, damn, mom, that's brutal. But it was also true. Like, what I see here is somebody who's saying, I have contempt for you. I don't respect you. Mm-hmm. I must go elsewhere to find intellectual stimulation. Like yeah, replace I don't care about intellectual this subject, with any but I other... bet you're wrong. But I bet you're wrong. You're just not, you're not able, despite your fancy degrees, you're not able to, to give me, to, to, to give me the, the stimulation and the competition that I need to thrive. Like, fuck you. That's terrible. But I also am wondering what the letter writer wants. It's clear, regardless of what her partner's deal is, like, it sounds like she's deeply unhappy and 
I don't see a way to reconcile that. And so I think what she's really asking is like, maybe asking herself, is this it? Yeah. And I think that is where you start. Like, it's not necessarily about resolving this one particular conversation. It's more like, I actually hate the way that you talk to me most of the time. This makes Mm -hmm. me miserable. I I don't really want to do this for the rest of my life. Do you like this? Like, if, if our marriage continued like this forever, would you be interested in that? Like, do you see other alternatives? Do you have any interest in changing? And if his answer is like, no, this is great. I could do another 50 years of this standing on my head, you know, that might be useful information for you to have. Um, mm-hmm. Or if you make it clear just how much this troubles you and he's like, all right, I'll try a little bit. And he continues to talk to you like you're stupid. Um, you know, that's information you can use. Um I'll just say, like, this whole thing, like, we're both pretty smart. You've given me one example of a single conversation where he said some things. So I I realize this is not – I can't offer a referendum on him as a person. But, like, based on this, like, what has he said to you? He's like, well, I don't agree with cancel culture. Okay? Like, there's not a – What does that have to do with this? Well, and just, like, cancel culture is not, like, a country with a constitution. It's not, like, a a company (laughs) that can, like, fire you. Like – I don't agree with cancel culture. Okay. Like, sure. I think people need to have opportunities to learn and grow. Who disagrees with that? That Simply the general proposition that people should have opportunities to learn and grow. That's just like saying, is it nice when kids play? Like, 99 people out of 100 when presented with such a, like, vacuous statement are going to be like, sure. You know, trees are nice. Opportunities are good. The future, <laughs> hope. Like, that's a nothing sentiment. Um, and then again, like, one misgender. I, I think you mean one moment where you misgender someone. I don't, I'm not really familiar with misgender as like a noun. Um, right. Or whatever. I don't know parts of sentences. I'm just a simple country lawyer. Um, one misgender doesn't make you a bigot. Cool. Who's saying that? Who said, who said, like, that's such a. F- they are <sighs> all strum and, you know, this is. It sounds like he's arguing with himself. Like yeah, he's he's, he's, he's he doesn't with, actually need people. her there. This is a very onanistic way of going about arguing. Like I can put up the arguments and refute them instantly. Yeah, and you know, just uh, apparently, like he asks you for a citation about how many people do or don't regret medically transitioning. I mean, that's a number of different things, right? Like medical transition can involve a variety of uh, interventions. Like it's not just like one pill that you swallow and you're like, great, I'm medically transitioned. I'm all done now. Um, Cis people medically transition, by the way. Like if you're popping hormonal birth control, congratulations, you're transitioning a little bit. Um, You know, if you're taking low T supplements, like, hello, welcome to the wonderful world of transition, my good sir. Uh, You know, he's like, you know, cite that. It's just like, uh, on what other basis is like the possibility of future regret used to deny the possibility of access to surgery? Like, but again, like if you have this, if you actually cared about what you were talking about, as opposed to first of all, this is some weak sauce. Like, if you fancy yourself a master of debate, which he clearly does, like you should not. This should not be your move. Like your one move. That sorry. That's what I just mean. Like I don't think he's that smart. He does not sound that smart based on this conversation. He sounds obstructionist. He sounds stubborn. He sounds like a guy who folds his arm a lot and says like citation please. And he's like genius checkmate. Like, he <laughs> sounds like a goddamn moron and a jerk. I'm sorry, but like if this is your smart husband, I think you actually have a stupid husband who's also mean. Yeah. Yeah. That, what a bad combination. 
There's been some, I guess people don't write you being like, my life is great. Everything is awesome. Just wanted to tell you you're doing a good job. I wouldn't mind a letter like that or like, I have a small problem. (laughs) I'll write you one of those. But this this does make me sad. I think there's, in a lot of these letters and in this letter in particular, there's this sort of reckoning that nobody wants to make. It's the moment of accounting where you… yeah where you look at this person who you've invested a lot of time and love into and who you've made judgments about, you know, who you've decided is smart and caring and and the person to devote yourself to. And, and that is not an easy reassessment to make uh, when they treat you, uh, not only treat, treat you badly, but really show you that they maybe are not so hot. Yeah. I think my last thought here is you say, I need to say that he's not transphobic. Why do you need to say that? What's that protecting you from? What's that holding at a distance that you don't want to examine up close? Why do you need to say that? Like, there's a difference between I believe he's not transphobic and I need to say it. And it's one of those things where it's like, he's not transphobic. He's just willing to entertain transphobic arguments when he's bored. That's a distinction without a difference. He's willing to defend somebody making transphobic arguments at the expense of his wife. That That's not a good look. Yeah, I just don't see a big difference there. And it's sort of like, well, in his heart of hearts, I'm sure he's not. It's just like, is he? What's he done for trans people? You know, like, citation, please. What's he ever done for trans <laughs> people to make our lives better? Please. I'm going to start using that in all my conversations. <laughs> Yeah, he sounds exhausting and stupid and stubborn, and that's a horrible combination. And, um, you know, I I think you should take seriously the fact that you feel like all you can do is watch TV together or talk about work. Uh, You don't have to live like that. Yeah, I mean, I hate to be like, leave him. He's a jerk. But, like, let a writer, let a writer with the fancy degrees, like, go find somebody who challenges you in a good way. Yeah. Somebody can challenge you while also fundamentally treating you like a person whose intellect they respect. Yes. Look, I love a good debate. I love a good conversation. It's one of my favorite things about my relationship with my partner. But there's never been a moment where I felt like I wasn't being listened to or I was being disrespected. And I certainly have never felt like these were opportunities for somebody to, to just peacock around. Like, what this person is describing is a lack of intimacy. This is not an intimate relationship anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we deserve that in our lives. We deserve to live in a space where we trust and feel trusted. Like, we deserve that. Yeah. And, you know, I do often say you should leave your husband. And I'm fine with that. Both because people are free to ignore me. And I imagine many of them do. Because, like, you might ask someone for advice and, like, leave your partner. Change your whole life. They're going to be like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, so that's one way that it feels a little easier. And then the other is like, I think a lot of people should leave their husbands. I think a lot of marriages are bad beyond the possibility of repair and people tend to stay in them more often than they should. I think the divorce rate's probably not high enough. Um, that's just me. Those are just my thoughts. But yeah. I I got divorced. It was great. I recommend it highly. Yeah. It's just one of those things where it's just like, you don't have to live like this. Even living alone would be nicer than this. I think, um, you have better options than this. And, and, um, I also don't think they have kids based on the letter. And I don't know if they plan to have children. They may well not. Could you imagine parenting with this guy? So bad. And can you imagine the what it would do to these kids to see that play out again and again? How they would feel about mm-hmm. like what they would learn to model? Like, mm, 
that that that's and oh and can you imagine going to court with this person when you finally do decide to leave them <laughs> i mean i guess the nice thing there would be you have actual lawyers who would have to speak over him like he wouldn't just be able to be like your honor but just like why is he carrying water for this like shitty billionaire do you know what i mean you're like i, I have some like you know some expertise here i know some people i have an investment in the trans people in my life and he's just like well i don't really know or care about any of this but uh this lady's got a lot of money so let's hear her out <laughs> i mean look i write for young people and this was a big heartbreak for a lot of my readers and uh and it was really shitty to watch and so listening to somebody be like this is fun this is a fun discussion to have i'm enjoying this discussion it's a hoot for me is pretty grim. Yeah. Don't trust billionaires. Don't do it. They're bad. They made bad decisions. That's why they're billionaires. You don't get a billion dollars without doing bad things that you shouldn't do. Ooh. And that, my friends, is my last thought for the day. <laughs> it's not, it's not like a, this is not like a radical position. You know, I'm not like, this is the, <laughs> the mildest thing one can say about billionaires. Even, even people who are deeply committed to capitalism are like, okay, maybe we could have some fewer billionaires. So just, as an idea. Take that for what it is. It's an idea. It's a thought. Just the thought. Lee, thank you so much for coming on the show with your wonderful hair and your great divorce. <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, and thank you for having me. This was enlightening. And I feel like when I read now, when I read the letters every week, I'm going to have so many different thoughts. When I'm, it's, 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 it's enlightening. But you really got me through a lot of the pandemic. So thank you, Danny. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I um I feel I I like want to knock wood because I'm like we're not done we're not done if we talk about it like it's wrapping up then it's gonna go on for eight more years so we have <laughs> to just act very calm and quiet and hopefully it will fall asleep. Good. Yes. 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 The play days have always been with us and will always be with us. So we just Lee, thank you so much. Have way. a have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Keep wondering, and I know we're not supposed to speculate, but I'm like, does she have a secret compulsive shopping habit where it's like they mm. need the money and he doesn't know they need the money? Like, I it's such a strange way to behave to somebody you're supposed to love that it I find myself looking for answers that are probably completely off base. Yeah, and I don't know if there's even like a, a particular debt issue so much as yeah, she may have just been like, actually, I really liked those 20 years where you had a job you hated. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.